You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number nine, where we talk with Andrew Honeycutt on his first Western DIY elk hunt. Hello, everyone. What's going on? Hope you're having a great day. Hope your January has been a great month. It's a great start to the 2018 um, I haven't been doing much, to be honest. Been pretty busy with work, been doing a lot of traveling, so I haven't really been able to get out and do much out in the woods or get to the mountains or do any scouting done a little preparation for possibly some 2018 hunts but uh nothing major on my end so that's uh that's what's going on i've been creating podcasts for you guys so hope you're liking that and um you know spending a lot of time kind of getting stuff ready for the site and just hopefully bringing you guys some awesome content and and speaking of that if you like what you're hearing Please leave us a review. Go to sportsmansnation.com. You can subscribe there. Um, but uh, go to iTunes if you like like what you're hearing. Go all the, fill up all those stars. Give us a five star. Leave a review. I'd be much appreciated. Um, thank you for your support. And yeah, so I, I'm not gonna sit here and kind of bore you with a bunch of dumb shit. I would rather just jump into the episode if that's cool with you uh but before that i just kind of want to give you a precursor to kind of like how this all came to be let's see a couple episodes back i had clint campbell on the podcast if you missed that one make sure you go listen to that i think it was episode seven but anyways i talked with clint and we talked about his first elk hunt and it was a it was an awesome story, very relatable to a lot of guys. But um, I did I did get some user feedback. You know, um, you know the thing is with Clint's hunt, he kind of went out with a buddy, and he had some local intel, and you know his buddy was going to show him the ropes. And and I went through the same thing. I started out, I had some local intel from somebody who lived in Colorado, and kind of had you know an area picked out, and I just piggybacked off of that which a lot of guys get into that situation. But for others, they're starting from scratch and starting from square one. They don't know the area. They don't know somebody who's been out there. Um, 
they're going in blind essentially and they're planning their first DIY elk hunt. So I had someone email me, uh, Brett, thanks for reaching out and, and, uh, offering some feedback, but he was just kind of looking to maybe have somebody on that would showcase more of the story from the DIY perspective, um, going in completely blind without any local Intel or, you know, hunting with friends that have done it before. So I went on to rockslide.com, one of the popular forums and went to the elk forum and you know, just basically started asking some questions and, and made a post there and was like, Hey, you know, tell me about your first DIY elk hunt, you know, um, not necessarily somebody who's, you know, hunted with a friend or went with an outfitter. I want to, I want to hear your stories from guys that have, have went out there and planted all themselves and, and bought the gear and prepared and went through the whole process. So I had a lot of guys, you know, comment on the forum and, you know, I, I, I uh, messaged one of the guys on there, and his name is Andrew Honeycutt. After he kind of left his his story, and I was like, man, this guy seems like you know would be a good fit to have on the podcast. So here we are. And um, Andrew's a great guy. He's from North Carolina. He's 33 years old, and really, he's an average guy with an average job who loves to hunt. And finally, he just said screw it we're going we're going west and we're going to go on our first hunt and um this is just a very inspiring episode he he walks us through you know from the very beginning um how he planned the hunt how he chose a particular area um we talk about his gear his preparation and you know details of you know, getting into the hunt and making adjustments and and how it all went down. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. I think it's very relatable. Um, You know, if you don't know somebody out there or you're going in completely blind, hey, this this episode's for you. And um, I hope you take it to heart and I hope it inspires you to head west. So I'll, I'll stop blabbling and let's bring Andrew Honeycutt on the line. All right, on the phone with us now, we have Andrew Honeycutt on the line from North Carolina. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Adam. All right, I appreciate you coming on. As uh, both you and I know, we kind of had a little mix-up and some technology problems last week is all on my end. Um, so this is actually a, a second attempt at recording this podcast. So again, appreciate you being on here. Oh, no problem. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, for sure. So to kind of preface this, um, you know, I had someone reach out to me after I did a podcast a few weeks back or about a month ago now with uh, Clint Campbell, and he talked about his first elk hunt. And, um, but like myself and Clint and a lot of others, um, you know, getting into an elk hunt or uh, an unknown hunt, sometimes you have a little bit extra intel, whether it's from local friends or people who know the area. So what I really want to dive into you, uh, dive into with is basically kind of starting from scratch with elk hunting and uh, how you planned your first trip and, and, and the whole process behind it and, and how all the hunt went down. Does that, that sound like a plan? Oh yeah, sounds like a great plan. Cool, cool. So uh, before before we get started here, you said, so you're from North Carolina, is that where you grew up? And uh, kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing and, you know, what uh, what do you do for a day job? Okay. Yeah, I was uh, 
born and raised in North Carolina, been here my entire life, uh, 33 years old, and um, didn't really grow up in a hunting family. Uh, my dad didn't hunt, and I got interested in hunting when I was about 12, 13 years old, and uh, my dad kind of came into it with me, so we were both as green as could be uh, going into it. We were pretty clueless, but we learned together and had a lot of good uh, adventures together, just learning the ropes and trying to figure out how to do this thing that people call deer hunting. And uh, just all that progressed from there. Uh, my mom hated the fact that I was hunting, but she thought it would just be a phase, but it really just turned into my, my passion uh, very quickly, especially after I shot my first deer when I was 14. Of course, I was hooked after that. Um, but, you know, I've continued to hunt whitetail here in North Carolina uh, since I was 13 years old, and um, that's been my main pursuit up until the last couple of years. And right now I'm, I'm working as a registered nurse. I recently switched careers a couple of years ago and started uh, working as a nurse in the emergency room, which has been kind of a blessing. Uh, the schedule allows me a little bit more flexibility to hunt. So I've, that's how I've, one way I've been able to start venturing out west here lately. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, uh, actually, a long time ago when I was in college, I actually looked into being a nurse for that exact reason because you can kind of have some flexibility your schedule. Sometimes you can work like three twelve-hour shifts and then have four days mm-hmm. off. Um, so I'm, I'm with you there. I'm sure it. I'm sure it opens up. I mean, you work hard and you work a lot of hours, but um, you know it, the flexibility and and having multiple days off in a row, three four days off in a row, I'm sure plays in pretty well with you getting out in the woods. Oh, yeah, it does. It definitely helps out. I mean, yeah, you know, I didn't become a nurse just for the flexible schedule, but it's definitely a benefit of it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So so you grew up deer hunting and um, kind of done that pretty much from since your childhood all the way up until now. What what kind of made you start thinking about the West? What Tell me about that process and, you know, how all that got started. Yeah, so, you know, the started thinking about going out west you know a long time ago when I was young still you know high school and college but you know it was one of those things I didn't know a whole lot about it and I uh, didn't really know how to approach it I thought really the only way to go out west was pay a guide several thousand dollars and I knew that wasn't within the realm of possibility especially at a young age and then as I got a little bit older um, my dad and I kept talking about going out west going elk hunting but there was always a reason that we couldn't go school work family obligations or you know just any excuse you could really think of we we came up with it but uh in february of 2014 my dad was diagnosed with cancer and you know that kind of that kind of hit everybody hard and opened everybody's eyes um fortunately his cancer was caught early and after a surgery and several months of chemotherapy he was declared cancer free. And after that, my dad kind of decided that he was, he was tired of waiting around to do stuff. Uh, he wasn't going to wait till he retired or anything like that. He was going to start doing things now when he was physically able to. And that got my wheels turning to start looking into really heavily researching a Western hunt. And I didn't know really much of anything about DIY hunts up until that point. And when I started researching, I was like, man, you know, we can do this for a reasonable amount of money. We may not be successful, but by gosh, we'll be out there elk hunting and having fun. So once I mentioned to the fact to him, I was like, hey, I think we can do this and do it on, you know, a decent budget. 
and have a chance of killing an elk, but at least we'll have a good time. He, he was all in. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's important too. I mean, a lot of people always talk about, you know, it's a dream hunt or it's, it's a lot out of my reach or I just don't have the time or someday I'll get out there. And, and I found myself doing the same thing and I, I hear it from a lot of other guys and, um, you know, it's totally doable. And, and that's the reason I wanted you on here and, and, and hearing the story about your dad and, um, you know, being diagnosed with cancer, it really puts, I'm sure it really puts a different perspective on things. Like the time is now you got to go do it. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if you have the means and you do a little bit of planning, you can go after it. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear the story. Yeah. Yeah. So once I started researching and realized that I didn't need, you know, five, six, seven thousand dollars uh, to put down on a guided hunt that I could do this for pretty much the cost of a license and some and some gas uh, was what it was going to come down to. I was like, man, you know, this is this is totally doable and within uh, my budget. So started doing a little research. I was in nursing school at the time, so I knew uh, it would probably be a year or two out before I would get to go, but I was fine with that because it would give me plenty of time to plan and uh, start getting some things together. So the first thing was I was like, well, you know, i got to figure out where I want to go hunting at. And to me, Colorado was the first place that came to mind because when I think of hunting out west and hunting in, uh, hunting elk, Colorado is what I always hear. So I immediately went to that state because of all the stuff that I've heard over the years, and it's the closest drive from North Carolina. So that was a big factor as well. You know, when you have limited time off, you don't want to spend five day, four or five days driving. You want to get out there and, you know, hunt as much as you can. So I immediately uh, just started zeroing in on Colorado, and I was overwhelmed at first with just the amount of over-the-counter opportunities that there were out there. I was kind of under the impression that this was going to be a you know a draw thing, and I was going to have to play the odds and stuff like that. But when I found out Colorado literally had dozens and dozens of units where you could just buy a tag and go hunting, I was thrilled and overwhelmed at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big benefit to Colorado. There's one, there's lots of elk. We have the most elk out of any other state. And then two, yeah, the over, over the counter, especially archery, there's uh, a ton of over the counter units that you can literally show up by the tag and, and go hunting. There's no draw, no application process, no waiting. It's uh it, it really caters well to the first time and uh, the out of state hunter. Yeah, it definitely does. And so as, you know, as I started researching and started to start doing a little planning, probably started early in 2015 when I started trying to put together a game plan. At first, we talked about doing a, a rifle hunt. And after discussing some things with my dad and then doing a little bit more research, I found out that the, the elk rut typically hits more around late September, which is archery season in Colorado. And after talking to my dad, we were both decided we would rather go hunt during the rut. For one, we felt like we may have a better opportunity at an elk. And secondly, we wanted to hear, you know, you want to hear an elk bugle. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, synonymous with an elk is hearing that distinct bugle. And I wanted the opportunity to be able to hear one. And so we decided that probably the last week of September was going to be the ideal time. And we're both avid archery hunters have been, we've both been shooting bows for probably about 20 years now. So that was, 
that was not a big issue. We already had all the equipment and a, and a decent amount of knowledge and some success in the whitetail woods as bow hunters. So we didn't have to buy any new equipment or do anything crazy with that. So once I decided that it was going to be an archery hunt and I'd pretty well pick my dates because from my research, I'd found that seemed like around September 15th to the end of September was when the elk rut really started to kick in. I had to start narrowing down where I was going to hunt at. Yeah. And I'm sure that's, that's probably the toughest challenge of, of all of this, especially for, for somebody not knowing, you know, somebody in the local area, correct? I mean, you didn't know anybody out there really have anybody to call or kind of go off of. Is, is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a hundred percent true. I mean, you know, there was a few people, uh, in, of, you know, some acquaintances I'd known that had been elk hunting before, but most of them were going to places like Montana or they had, you know, guided hunts that they had went on over the years. So I didn't know anyone who had ever been to Colorado and who had ever done, you know, a do-it-yourself, 100% do-it-yourself uh, archery elk hunt. So I had no clue on, you know, an area. I had no intel on anything out there. I'd actually never even been to Colorado. Um, I'd been to some other states out west just on vacation, but I'd never even stepped foot in that state. So this was going to be all 100% new territory for me. Got it. So so how did you start that process? Was it something that you were active on maybe some forums or were you doing research on, you know, maybe sites like Go Hunt? Walk us through that whole thing and how you got started. Yeah, so uh, when you when I finally decided I'm going to have to pick a place to hunt, uh, the big thing was, you know, just I got on the internet and started started researching and the first place I went to was the Colorado uh, big game website I mean it's it's a wealth of information between harvest statistics and uh, they have their elk hunting planner their elk hunting university which helped me a lot but I just started going through all the stuff on there that they had listed and looking at harvest statistics and hunter numbers and hunter success rates and trying to just put it all together in something that made sense and really, it was making my head spin. So then I started getting on uh, various forums like Archery Talk and uh, Rockslide.com and just using the search functions on there and, you know, reading over old posts and trying to ask questions that weren't too specific, you know, not asking for people, hey, where should I go hunt, but just trying to get a general idea of more of like terrain features and things like that because I kind of had in my mind a type of terrain in the area I wanted to hunt in, but having never been there, I wasn't a hundred percent sure where to go. So I was fortunate to, you know, have some, have some good luck in doing the searches on these forums. And a few people reached out to me and gave me some, gave me some good information on types of areas that I should look at and types of access. And that really helped me start narrowing down my area. And in one particular forum member, he pretty much told me, he said, look, he said, don't overthink this. He said that pretty much every over-the-counter unit in Colorado has plenty of elk. He said they're also going to have plenty of hunters. So there's going to be pressure, but there's going to be elk. He said, you pick a place and you stick with it. He said, so once you've decided on an area that meets your criteria, maybe it has a wilderness area, maybe it has, you know, big rocky mountains or steep canyons, just whatever you're looking for. He said, you pick it and you stick with it and dive into it and you live it. And so that, to me, was very helpful, kind of knowing that you can't really make a wrong decision, but 
you just got to pick one and go with it and learn as much as you can about it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes, makes total sense to me now. Like, so at this point, maybe you've chosen a unit or maybe a couple of units to focus on. What was your process of kind of nailing down the specifics as far as like maybe where you were going to set up camp or how you were going to access walk us through that. I mean, were you using Google earth or other digital scouting, um, you know, software, Tell us about that whole aspect. Yeah, so definitely, uh, uh, definitely used a lot of Google Earth. Once I'd found an area that I, um, a unit that I really liked, uh, you know, again, that's still kind of overwhelming because you're looking at a unit that's, you know, millions of acres of land in it, and the particular unit I picked out had several hundred thousand acres of public land along with about two hundred fifty thousand acres of designated wilderness within that unit. So it was a massive. Uh, undertaking when you're looking at it and you're like, all right, well, I've picked a general area. Now I need to narrow it down. So I just started using Google Earth. I started using um, the Colorado Hunting Atlas, which is a great resource because it allows you to toggle back and forth between um, road maps and topographic maps and aerial photographs. And they put migration routes and summer ranges for elk and wintering ranges for elk and it has private land boundaries and public land boundaries so that was extremely helpful to be able to overlay all that information in one place and kind of have it right there in front of you instead of having to bounce back and forth between five or six different areas so once i started kind of narrowing down looking at terrain features and what little information i knew about elk habits that i'd gained from reading i started zeroing in on some areas um, for me a topographic map was my best friend uh, growing up deer hunting here in my area of north carolina it's a lot of mountainous terrain so i was used to you know steep hills and valleys and stuff like that and also looking for terrain features that would funnel animals into certain areas and i kind of had this idea that elk were probably similar to deer in the fact that they want food they want water and they want security from other hunters and so that's what I was looking for when I started zeroing in on these areas on the maps. Got it. Yeah, that makes total sense. And and I know, so your dad was coming with you. Mm-hmm. Tell us about like your setup as far as camp. I mean, were you car camping and you know setting up a tent next to the road and then hiking in every day? Or did you guys pack in? Did you do a drop camp from you know packing with horses? Tell us about that. Yeah, so initially uh, my my thought was that we would do like a backpack style hunt where we would live out live out of our backpacks and you know sleep wherever we stopped at night. But my dad uh, he's he said he just wasn't too keen on the idea of doing that and sleeping on the ground every night. And I was, you know, I understood. And you know, the more I looked into logistics of doing a backpack hunt and all the gear that I would have to put together, I saw that was probably going to kind of double the cost of my hunt anyway. So after looking around and looking at some of the campground availabilities and the fact that you can pretty much just camp anywhere in the National Forest if there's a flat spot, I decided that our best uh, route to go would be to car camps. That way we would have a nice base camp that we could come back to every night and you know have some, some decent creature comforts uh, to make the hunt a little bit easier. And then we could go and just hunt out from there during the day I knew it would limit us to a point that we may not be able to get into certain areas that uh, could be less pressured or, you know, may have 
higher potential for getting into elk, but I also thought it would make the hunt a little bit more enjoyable because I think that's one of the aspects of hunting out west that may be overwhelming as well is, you know, you're going somewhere that has very difficult terrain that you've never seen before, and you don't really know exactly how you're going to be able to handle that terrain or the elevation for that matter. You know, where I live, elevation is about 1,000 feet above sea level. You start getting around 9, 10, 11,000 feet, and it affects everybody differently. So I wanted the ability to have a nice base camp to where if, you know, we were struggling with the terrain and the altitude and, you know, not feeling well or the weather got really nasty, we could come back and, you know, hunker down and regroup if we needed to. Yeah, I think I think that's huge, and and uh, a lot of people talk about this is knowing your limits, and for for you and your dad going into a place unknown, I mean that's I think that's a great decision to make. Uh, don't try to be Mister Tough Guy if if you don't have all the gear or if you're unsure of an area or what your capabilities are, um, and and you can get into a lot of good elk and a lot of good areas right from the road. I'm I'm proof of that. So um, so yeah, I think I think you guys made a good call there. Yeah. Yeah. And so once, once I had kind of narrowed down a general area that looked like, uh, had some good camping access, uh, I started looking at trailheads and roads that were close by that would allow us to access our hunting areas. And again, using Google earth and the Colorado Atlas maps, um, started just looking at different features and different trails and where they went and then what kind of terrain features were around there. So I started looking at things, that I felt like we could walk into within a reasonable amount of time. So I was thinking, you know, a few miles from the truck every day. But being that close, I also wanted to look for things that would deter other hunters from going there. Because I knew we would probably be competing with other people. I mean, it's Colorado. There's It's public land, and you're sharing it with anybody that wants to be out there. So I wanted the ability to at least try to get some solitude. Because that was one of my big worries going out there. The unit I picked is one of the more popular uh, over-the-counter archery units, and I heard a few horror stories on internet forums about people saying, you know, all they saw were 30 other hunters during the week, and they never saw an elk. So I was a little worried about that, but having hunted public land here in North Carolina, I kind of knew that if you could find an area that was difficult to get into for whatever reason, be it a big stream crossing or maybe it's really steep or something like that. It didn't matter if it was five miles, 10 miles from the truck. It might only be half a mile, but it would probably hold some game. Yeah. Yeah. True. Now, did you have some backup areas that you kind of had planned out before, you know, you actually took the trip or were you pretty sure of where you wanted to go based on your research? Yeah. Um, what, basically what I did was I, I zoomed in, uh, once I'd focused on a primary area, I found about six or seven uh, drainages or valleys or canyons in that general area that I felt like would be the best opportunity for us to hunt. And by the looks of the terrain and the distance we'd be walking, I was figuring that we could hit those areas in you know, a few days' time. If nothing was, you know, if we were moving quick, we could move through them fast. If we're not seeing any sign, we could bounce to a new area. If we were seeing sign, then we could slow down. And then I also had a couple other areas uh, further south of where we were uh, planning on originally hunting as kind of like a backup zone. And I'd also just done the same thing. I found some trailheads, and then I zoomed in on some areas and picked out some drainages 
that I thought we could bounce into. So it came down to, I had about probably 12 drainage areas and canyons picked out um, in this unit within uh, probably a 20 mile radius or so that we could keep hitting up until we either found elk or ran out of time. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and hunting from, that's another advantage of hunting from the road or setting up a camp, you know, near the road. I mean, if you go into a certain area one day and you don't see anything, um, you know, or you run into other hunters and you have, you have your camp back there and you can be a little bit more mobile or a vehicle. I mean, it allows you to kind of check out some different spots and kind of learn the area. Now, if you come back the following year and you found some place that, Hey, this, this is sweet. This is where we are seeing all the action at. Then maybe that's where you take in a, you know, a camp and, and set up that way. So I think, I think you guys are, are playing it right so far. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in my head, it seemed like it was going to, it was going to work. Um, fairly well so we had by this point in time you know, all this is going on all this planning is going on over the course of about a year and a half and then as uh, we're going in september of 2016 that was our target date so by the summer of 2016 we had pretty well uh, narrowed down the exact area that we wanted to start in and we had uh, we put our money aside to purchase our tags and we had gathered up some gear pieces that we needed that we didn't have and really just started getting hyped up about going out there and, you know, trying to tie up the last few, last few loose ends of the hunt and make sure we were in shape and make sure our equipment was going to suffice for the trip. And, you know, really by probably the end of August, you know, you're, you're getting pretty fired up because you're like, man, this is just around the corner. I'm getting ready to go do this. And, by that point is when I was like, I sat down. I was like, well, I got to think about what my realistic goals are for this trip. Yeah, yeah. And let's let's talk about that here in a second. But let's let's back up a little bit um, and talk about let's talk about your gear. You mentioned you know mm-hmm. because you were doing more of a road hunt, you weren't going to have to purchase maybe you know sleeping bags or lighter weight cooking you know stoves and and that stuff. Talk us about. Talk to us about some of the gear that you had to purchase and maybe the, some of the stuff that you didn't purchase based on, you know, your particular hunting style. Yeah. So the gear was uh, one of those things where I found out very quickly that a um, $1,000 do-it-yourself elk hunt could turn into a three or $4,000 uh, hunt very quickly because there's a lot of gear out there that is, I mean, it's great gear, but uh, you have to decide what do I really need for this type of hunting that I'm going to do and what can I live without? And that was where, you know, when you initially start getting into this stuff, you're like, Oh man, yeah, I definitely need this. And I, I, oh, I need those new pants and I need those new boots and I need all this stuff. But then you start realizing, man, I'm going to, I'm going to really start piling on the money here. So that's <laughs> when I started dialing, I started dialing back and I was like, all right, what do I have right now that will work? And what do I need to buy that I just absolutely need? And I started doing some research and I was like, well, you know, I've got mostly whitetail style hunting clothes that were set up for sitting in a tree stand, but, uh, my clothing was, you know, some of the polyester stuff. And I had purchased a few, um, you know, wool base layers over the years and things like that. And when I did some research, you know, that seems to be kind of the go-to stuff for elk hunters. I'm like, well, this may not be the most ideal stuff. You know, I didn't have, you know, the high end name brand Sitka gear or Kuyu or anything like that, but my stuff would work. 
and being that I had a base camp, if something did get soaking wet or was not doing so well, I could have, you know, my backup clothing in camp and I could at least be able to change clothes. So I quickly decided that I was not going to spend any money on new clothing, but I did decide that I needed new boots and I needed a pack because if I shot something, I needed something that would protect my feet and something I could haul out 200 pounds of meat with. Yeah, that makes total sense. Yeah, so those are, you know, the two big ticket items that I knew I was going to have to buy. Uh, My boots that I owned were set up for sitting in a tree stand. They weren't made for hiking five, six, seven, eight miles a day. So I I saved up a little money and, you know, did a little research and bought a nice pair of, uh, of boots that I felt like would do well for the hunt. And then, um, the pack was one of those things that, again, I got overwhelmed with because, you know, everybody has their favorite pack and some of them are super expensive and I'm, and I know they're expensive for reasons, but I was like, man, you know, do I, do I need to buy a seven, eight, nine hundred dollar backpack for this hunt? Or can I get away with something, you know, maybe for half or a quarter of that price? And that's where the internet forums really came in helpful because people are all the time getting rid of last year's gear. And once I got on the classifieds, I saw packs that were a year or two old that hadn't been used, and I could get them for half the price of a new pack. Wow. So nice. after, yeah, that was, that was huge for me. You know, instead of having to drop $500 on a backpack, I could find a used one that was a year old that I felt would be capable of, you know, giving me the ability to haul out, you know, my elk quarters and all my elk meat and a cape or antlers if I was lucky enough to harvest one. And so I purchased a, I ended up purchasing a nice backpack or a decent backpack and a, and a new pair of boots. And that was really the only uh, big purchases that I made before the hunt. So instead of spending a couple thousand dollars on gear, I spent a couple hundred dollars. Wow. That's, that's nice. And that's, I mean, that's awesome to hear. Cause I mean, even myself, I find myself doing it every year. It's like, I want that new, you know, sick of gear jacket or, you know, I need, I need the latest, um, you know, GPS or I need the latest this and that. And, and it can really add up quickly when you, when you really boil down, boil it down and simplify everything. I think you nailed it right on the head. You need a good pack. Can't skimp on that. But if you, you know, do your research and, and, you know, do some searching around, you can find, find deals. And then same with boots. I mean, if you're, you can't go out there with your knee high, you know, white tail rubber boots and expect not to have a miserable time with your feet getting sore and blistered. So, um, man, you're making, you're making all the right moves and you're doing it on a budget. So that's, that's awesome to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely the plan is to try to try to keep this as budget friendly as possible because, you know, like most people, I, I work a blue collar job and I'm not made of money. So, and my wife would kill me if I uh, went out and spent thousands of dollars <laughs> on gear. So I tried to keep it as reasonable as possible, and uh, you know, used uh, used some extra money here and there, and you know, ask, asking for money for Christmas and money for birthdays to help offset some of the purchase costs. Help, but like I said, just narrowing down and making sure that you know those two or three items that you just really have to have, and then you know, making do with the stuff that you already own. You know, people think they got to buy a brand new gun or a brand new bow for a hunt like this. But the thing is, 
you know, your whitetail setup is probably going to work for elk hunting. So you don't have to go out and spend thousand dollars on a new bow and a new rifle to go out there and, and do it. So yeah, that's the thing I've talked with a lot of people is they're like, man, I'd have to buy a new bow. I'm like, no, you don't have to buy a new bow. You don't have to buy all this new stuff. Use what you got and just go out there and do it. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Now let's talk about your physical kind of preparedness. Are you are you a workout junkie? Are you kind of more of an average, you know, guy who hits the gym or tries to run every once in a while? Tell us about what your current lifestyle is and then what you did to kind of prepare for those higher elevations. Yeah. So I would say uh, I'm definitely not a workout junkie. Um, I'm not a I'm not a go to the gym type guy. Um, I did have the advantage of I'm I'm in I'm a member of the uh, North Carolina National Guard, uh, which is part of the U.S. Army. So I do have physical fitness standards that I have to upkeep for that. So that kind of helped me. That's kept me in shape over the last several years. And so I'm you know I'm usually running a couple days a week, nothing major. You know, a couple miles here and there. And I do some, you know, push-ups, sit-ups, and things like that. But once I started looking at the terrain and, you know, wanting to be able to enjoy this hunt as much as possible, I knew I needed to step up my game a little bit. And one, for the cardiovascular endurance. And secondly, I needed to make sure that my leg strength was up to par for hiking up and down all these hills. And then, like I said, the possibility of having to pack out an elk is a daunting task. And I wanted to make sure I was physically up for it so i just kind of sat down and started developing you know a little bit of a workout plan that would be time friendly but would also give me the strength that i need and i'm kind of one of those guys that believes in uh, what people call is functional fitness you know it's great if you can bench press 300 pounds and it's great you can squat 450 pounds but if you don't have the muscular endurance to do that for hours at a time, it's not going to do you any good. So I decided to tailor my workout plan towards, towards my hunting, you know, do things that would be more hunting related. Got it. So were you loading up like your pack with, with weight or were you hitting the stair climber or running kind of a mix of everything? Tell us, tell us a little bit about, you know, that whole process. Yeah. So definitely, uh, Definitely using the pack a lot. Um, for one, just to get used to carrying a pack on my back and the weight and to make sure the fit was right. You know, started off just carrying it around the house and around the neighborhood and stuff like that, getting used to the way it felt and getting the adjustments down. And then once I had that pretty well narrowed down, I started um, you know, doing more hikes uh, around my local area. I have a couple of state parks close by, and then we have um, – some pretty steep public lands, uh, the Pisgah National Forest and some other public game lands around here that, although they're not high in elevation, they're very steep terrain. So I would load up my pack with, you know, 40 or 50 pounds in it and take off on hikes when I had my free time and just trying to build up my endurance there. And then I also started, I would try to mix in my workouts with other things that I would be doing. Like, for instance, if I was out shooting my bow, then I would mix in a workout while I was shooting my bow. So I would shoot, say, five arrows at 20 yards, and then I would do lunges down to my target and then do lunges all the way back up. Then I'd back up to 30, shoot my arrows, and then do lunges again. I'd just do that. So that way I was incorporating multiple things at one time. I was getting a bow practice in. 
I was getting some leg workouts in. Um, I'd throw in some sprints in there as well, you know, sprint down to the target, grab my arrows, turn around, sprint back, shoot, and then sprint down there again and grab my arrows. That helped me with my cardiovascular endurance, but also helped me with learning how to control my breathing and try to shoot while you're, you know, you're breathing heavy and you're tired and your legs are shaking and your heart's pounding out of your chest. So that was my goal was to try to incorporate it into hunting type settings. Yeah. That makes total sense. So, you know, I I started, the advantage of doing this is is it's going to get you in better shape. If you come up with a workout plan, um, not only is it going to have you hunting better and enjoying your hunt more, but it's going to make you feel better overall. And I could, within just a couple months, I started noticing a difference in myself. I lost some weight. Um, I was running faster than I normally did. And I was also starting to eat better. I was trying to avoid, you know, being in school at the time. I was eating a lot of fast food, and I was trying to avoid eating the fast food because I didn't want all that fat and all that salt in my diet. So I started being a little bit more aware of my diet and what I was eating and drinking. So it really helped out, and I was able to cut some weight and get in a little bit better shape. And, you know, my dad, he's in fairly good shape for his age, but, you know, he was kind of my buddy on this, my workout buddy, so to speak. You know, we would call each other and text each other and make sure that you know we were doing the things that we said we were going to do and um, that we were keeping up with our workout plans that's awesome that's awesome yeah and it's 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 one of those things too where you don't have to be like the crazy you know olympic athlete but you also don't want to show up to the trailhead without any physical preparedness or not you know walking with your pack or breaking in your boots or building up your legs and getting that cardio up because I can tell you from experience, you're going to be miserable first day <laughs> out there and, oh, and maybe for the yeah. next couple of days after that. So, um, like I'm, I'm proof positive that, you know, you don't have to be a major athlete to, to do this, but at the same time, you got to be realistic and, and know what you're getting into. Oh yeah. Yeah. You definitely don't have to be a Cameron Haynes or somebody like that, but you want to try to be in the best shape you can possibly be in. Yeah, for sure. And before we kind of get into to like what your goals and everything were for this particular hunt, um, what what I forgot to ask you, what was the pack that you went with, and what were the boots that you went with? Uh, the pack that I the pack that I bought for the first hunt, I bought the uh, Kuyu Ultra, and um, I actually purchased the six thousand bag, and I also purchased an eighteen fifty bag to go along with it because I was still back and forth on doing a backpack hunt and stuff like that. And I was like, well, maybe in the future. So, but I, I, I ended up with the Kuyu. Um, I really liked the layout of the 1850 bag for like a day pack and the ability to, you know, stuff a quarter down and cinch it in between the frame and the pack and the lightweight nature of that pack was very appealing to me. And then, um, the boots I went with were the Cabela's, uh, uh, Mendel, the 400 gram insulated ones, the Cabela's brand. Nice. And yeah, I really like them. Uh, you know, a good lightweight yet sturdy boot that I felt would, you know, handle the terrain and, uh, handle everything I need to throw at them. And also, you know, not tear apart under weight. And I bought those boots and the pack several months ahead of time and used them and wore them and broke them in and found out that I really liked them and that they should do what I needed them to do for this hunt. 
That's awesome. That's uh, that's funny you mentioned those Mendel 400s. I purchased the same boots for my first year elk hunting and uh, still use them today. I um, I have an article on my website where I kind of went through and, and detailed, I think it's like elk hunting gear or archery elk hunting gear list or something. But um, mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely recommend those boots and they've got a little bit of insulation, but even when it's warm out, you don't, you don't, uh, you know, you definitely don't get too hot or anything. Uh, they're a great price mm-hmm. point. I think brand new, they're like a little over 200 bucks. They're comfy. They get yeah. the job done. And also I, I wear them for my whitetail hunts as well. So they kind of have some crossover there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I ended up doing the same thing. They ended up being my, you know, my whitetail boot up until, you know, it just got, you know, the temperatures would drop too much, but yeah, I was very, very happy with that boot purchase. Um, they, they've done very well for me. I still have them. So <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. Well, cool. So you mentioned a little bit earlier that you had some particular goals in mind. Tell us, tell us about that. You know, as we kind of enter in, you know, to the actual hunting portion or getting started, um, you know, what were some of your goals starting out for that very first hunt? Yeah. So, you know, the goals were one of those things where, you know, obviously the big goal that everybody's thinking of is, you know, you want to shoot an elk. And I was like, well, that's an obvious goal, but I said, I'm going to uh, back off here and I'm going to set some, some real goals and then go from, go from there. Um, so when I looked at killing an elk, I had to be realistic with myself and you can look at all the hunting stats and over the counter unit, it's about a 10% chance of killing an elk. So I was like, all right, I got a 10% shot at doing this. So I can't make that, you know, the lofty make or break goal. So I decided to backtrack a little bit and set some goals that were more realistic and were easily achievable, but also keep the goal of killing an elk. So my biggest goal was I wanted to, I just wanted to have fun and, you know, be safe. And I felt like that shouldn't be too hard to accomplish. You know, safety is obviously always the concern, no matter what you're doing. Uh, it be you going out to the whitetail woods to sit in a tree stand or you're going out West and I wanted to have fun. I wanted to make sure that, you know, even if something didn't quite go as planned that we rolled with the punches and enjoyed it because, we're out west. We're in Colorado. We're chasing elk. I mean, it can't get any better than that. So that was my my main goal. And then I said, "All right. Well, my next goal is I want to see an elk." You know, it seems pretty simple, but I, again, I had to be realistic with myself. Never been to this area and didn't really know anything about elk other than what I'd read in a book. And I was like, "Well, surely I can see an elk." So I set that up as my next goal. And then I was like, "Okay." When we're going out west and we're going during the elk rut, I want to hear an elk bugle. So I made those my three main goals. Have fun and be safe, see an elk, and hear an elk bugle. And then, you know, my fourth and more lofty goal was I'm going to kill an elk. Yeah, yeah, and I, and and that's great too. I mean, a lot of guys, obviously myself and probably everyone else listening, I mean, their number one goal is to kill an elk. But with uh, archery especially, the odds are, you know, 10% or less in a lot of units, um, you know, you can't expect that. And, and I think if you go into the mindset, like, like you, it's an adventure hunt, you get to go with your dad, you get to have fun, you get to learn this new terrain. It's the whole experience. And if you kill something, then that's just icing on the cake. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't base, basing my success on 
harvesting an animal. You know, that's to me that's icing on the cake. But um, I knew, you know, I was going out. I was going out somewhere that was just going to be a lot of fun and beautiful country. And if I brought home an elk after the trip, then that would make it more worthwhile. You know, a lot of people will say, "Oh, you did all that, went all that way, and uh, spent all that money, and you didn't kill anything, or you don't think you're going to kill anything. What's the point?" And to me, you know, that was kind of, you know, that's just one thing to add to it just to make it that much better but if it didn't happen it was still going to be a great time yeah for sure for sure so so let's talk about day one this is your first year elk hunting you're out there middle september um it's the rut what was kind of your game plan going into that first morning did you kind of wait till daylight to get started maybe do a day of scouting and then kind of actually jump into the hunting walk us through that whole process yeah, so day one, uh, you know, Dad and I, we jumped in the truck and we drove straight through just alternating. It was about a 26-hour drive for us. Um, so we got to our hunting area around probably 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, we're dead tired from driving, but when you get there, the adrenaline kicks in. And after we had set up camp, we were both like, man, you know, let's, let's hit the woods. Let's go. Um, and honestly, in retrospect, looking back, we probably shouldn't have done that because <laughs> we were just so worn out from the drive. But we took off straight into the woods and, you know, just started looking around at some close areas, um, hiked down off of a trail and then dropped down into a, a bottom that was a pretty uh, marshy area. And we started finding some elk sign. So that had us pumped up. So by the time we got back to camp that night, we had already hiked a couple miles we had drove 20 some hours. We'd probably slept a total of two or three hours apiece. We were, we were pretty beat and, you know, sleeping in a tent, even though we did have a decent base camp, sleeping in a tent at an elevation of about 8,500 feet. Neither one of us slept very well the first night. And so we woke up the first morning and we were like, oh man, we feel like crap. <laughs> Do you think that's yeah. partly because of the elevation? Did that, did you notice that affect you quite a bit or is it, you just think it was because you're tired? Yeah. Uh, for me, I think I was just tired more than anything. Uh, I didn't really have any issues with the elevation other than, you know, I mean, you know, I could tell I was breathing a little bit harder, but, um, my dad did have a little bit more issues with the elevation at first. He was getting some headaches and, you know, didn't really have much of an appetite to eat anything, which that makes it worse. You got to be able to eat to fuel yourself. So the elevation affected him just a little bit more than it affected me. But yeah. I think just, you know, from the long drive and not getting any sleep, um, that probably had a lot of effect on everything. And like I said, I know the elevation was just one more added variable that probably made it a little rough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so you had, you guys kind of scouted the first day, found like, found some good sign, you know, maybe some tracks, rubs, um, you know, so you come back to camp, you wake up the next morning and then what happens? Yeah. So we get up the next morning and, you know, we're feeling pretty rough, but we're like, no, you know, we're here, we're going hunting. We only have, you know, about six, seven days to get this done. So we're going to, we're going to push through and uh, take off. So I knew exactly where I wanted to go. Uh, based on my research on Google Earth, and it was probably going to be about a three-quarter of a mile hike uh, down the main trail, and then probably about another mile to a mile and a half uh, hike into this canyon that I really wanted to get into. So we just we took off straight there uh, before daylight and started working our way into the canyon. 
And as we hit into that canyon, we got our first real taste of uh, western terrain and the deadfall that you have to deal with. I'd read about the deadfall, and I'd heard stories about the deadfall, but until you actually experience it, you have no clue what the deadfall is actually like. <laughs> I can attest to so, that. I, I remember my first time walking into dark timber, and after getting back out that day, I texted texted my buddy who's who's done this before, and I was like, how in the hell do you navigate this stuff? Because it's just a jungle. It's slow going. You're climbing over trees. You're getting caught on sticks. It's just a, it's a kind of a nightmare starting out for the first time. So I, I can, I can certainly attest to that. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a, a nightmare. Is probably a kind word for it because <laughs> after, after probably about an hour of hiking and we'd only made it, you know, just a probably a few hundred yards. And when I had anticipated we would have made it a whole lot further by that point, we were sitting there scratching our heads thinking, man, what have we got ourselves into? Uh, have we screwed up here big time? Are we cut out for this? Uh, so it was, that was definitely, um, you know, a little, it was a little disappointing at first, but it also kind of gave us a better idea of what we were going to face for the rest of the time we were there. Got it. So um, after after we hiked a little ways, um, I could tell, you know, the elevation, uh, was starting to, was starting to get to my dad a little bit and climbing over the trees was also starting to just wear me out too. I told him, I was like, Hey, I said, let's back out of this area. I was like, we got time. I said, let's go to a different area that I found on the map. It's just right down the road here. It might, should be a little bit easier terrain. And, um, yeah, it looks like it could hold some elk. So we backed out and headed over to that area. And it was a little bit lower elevation, so I didn't really know um, if the elk would be in that area or not. But I figured, hey, why not? We'll give it a shot. So we went over into that area, um, spent the rest of the day hiking and making our way through there, um, navigating the terrain. It was still some deadfall there, but it wasn't nearly as bad as the first place we had went. Um, saw a bunch of mule deer, which that was really cool. You know, we'd never never seen any mule deer and we walked right up to within 15 yards of some real nice bucks and my dad really enjoyed that uh, found some elk sign but nothing real fresh nothing that made us say all right we want to come back to this area tomorrow yeah so by the end of the first day you know we made it back to camp we talked about what we had done that day and what we had learned and what we wanted to do for the next day Got it. Now, did you see any hunters on that first day? Were there people camped along the road? Any trucks in the area? Yeah. So when we when we first arrived in the area, I thought all my fears about overcrowded public land were going to be met. Uh, there was campsites everywhere, and I was like, "Oh man, you know, this place is going to be overrun with people." And I guess because we had got there on the last day of uh, the muzzleloader season, that was why there was so many people there. Because the next morning when we woke up. Everybody had gone. All those camps had broken down and dispersed, and there was there went from being like twenty five camps to two. So that was kind of nice to see that the area wasn't just going to be completely overrun with hunters. And we didn't see a single person in the woods, nor did we see any evidence of a single person in the woods once we got off the main trails. Got it. Yeah, I've experienced that same thing. I've, you know, I've I've hunted. Um, you know, really, I like to focus on that that Labor Day weekend up until muzzleloader season. I don't see anybody mm-hmm. there. And then when that muzzleloader season does hit, there are quite a bit more camps and everything on the road. But 
I found that if you get off the road like a mile, um, a mile or more, you're not going to see anybody or even a half mile sometimes. Um, I don't know if it's just the lazy gun hunter thing or whatever, but I, I just didn't experience that. And then, you know, obviously after that week's over, then things kind of calmed down, which sounds like you ran into. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was nice to see that there weren't going to be so many people out there. So that was, um, that was kind of a big sigh of relief when we realized that the trailheads weren't going to be packed and we weren't just going to be bumping into hunters left and right out in the woods. Got it. Got it. Now what, uh, what elevation were you at approximately? Um, we, the first day we, we hiked in, it was probably right around 8,500 feet where we started and we made our way up to probably around 9,500. And then that was when we backed out to go to a different area and we hunted around probably 8,000 to 8,500, um, towards the end of that first day got it got it cool so so you kind of backed out went to this different area um talk to us about like day you know three and four were you starting to kind of hear some bugles were you getting into them a little bit more talk us about kind of the middle of the week yeah so after uh, after the first day that or we that second night we were there we're laying in the tent and we hear our first bugle you know it's probably 9 30 10 o'clock at night and we hear elk bugle off in the distance, and we're like, all right, there's elk here. You know, we can hear them. So that right there was, you know, that got your heart pumping. Yeah. You know, there's, you, know, you know there's elk there, and now you're hearing a bugle, so you know there's a bull. There's at least one bull around. So sure. that kind of, you know, built the spirits back up a little bit more. Um, started, we tested out a couple other areas uh, just to see what we could find. But by the third day, I told my dad, I was like, I've, we got to get back into that canyon. Um, you know, it's steep, it's nasty, it's full of deadfall. I, I guarantee you there's elk in there. So my dad, he was like, I, he, he was honest with me. He said, I, he said, I can't, he said, I can't handle that Canyon. I don't want to hold you back. He said, I'm going to go hunt another area. You go take off through there. So by the third day, um, I went and I was going to charge hard into that Canyon. There was a meadow at about 10,300 feet that I really wanted to get to. And that was my goal, was to get into that area. You know, I hiked along. I was finding a lot of elk sign. Some of it looked fairly fresh. Um, and I was starting to get pretty pumped up. And as I got up to around 10,000 feet, it was probably, I don't know, close to midday. I was sitting there. I hadn't seen any elk yet. It's third day, still hadn't seen the elk. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to sit here, eat a bite of lunch. And I said, I'm going to make a few bugles just to see if there's anything around. So I'm sitting there and I'm eating the sandwich and I let off a bugle that probably sounded like a dying cat. <laughs> and I got a response back almost immediately. Nice. And my heart, yeah, my heart just, I mean, it, it went out. I mean, it jumped out of my throat and the elk sounded like he was just a few hundred yards away. There was like a large, um, a large pond out or subalpine lake, uh, that was between me and him. But I was like, man, he's over there on that other side of the lake, and I got to go. You know, I threw all my stuff in my pack and took off after him. And I would bugle, and he would bugle. And, you know, we just went back and forth, back and forth. And I ran all over that mountain trying to find that elk and never never could set eyes on him. You know, every time I'd bugle, he'd bugle again, and it'd be a little bit further away. And then I'd try to go to him. Looking back, you know, now that I know a little bit more, if I would have hung tight, and maybe kind of set up and called in a different area and thrown some cow calls in there, 
might have drawn him in, but man, I I had an absolute blast just chasing that elk around. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing, even myself. Um, and I'll and I'll have probably some more guests on in the future as we get closer to elk season, you know, coming up in the summer, but it's, there's so much to learn about calling and I really have no clue what I'm doing, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just that, just that first rush and, you know, getting them to answer back. It's, it's a win, uh, for sure in my eyes. And I'm sure you felt the same way. Yeah. So, you know, I had that, had that going for me. Um, I was like, man, you know, I got in, got into some elk, uh, heard one bugle, uh, day four, I went back in that same area trying to get back into those animals. But, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they had moved on from that area. And by the end of day four, um, I was coming back to camp. I got back to camp a little bit earlier than I anticipated. There was still some light out. And I was like, huh. I just kind of looked up on this hill across from our campsite. I was like, huh. I said, I'm going to walk up there for the last two hours of daylight, just see what's going on. Uh, I didn't really expect to see anything more, just trying to kill some time because it was really just a hill right on the side. There was a major forest service road uh, that bordered it. So I took off up that hill, and as soon as I started climbing up, I was like, well, I was like, this might be okay, because it was literally straight up, like 500 feet, falling wow. on my hands and knees to get to the top of this hill. I'm like, well, this is steep, so I, I bet nobody's coming in here, at least not from this direction. And I got to the top, and I started walking. I'm not seeing any elk sign. I was like, yeah, whatever, I'm still out here in the woods. I start walking along, and I notice a pretty well-worn trail. And I was like, man, that looks like a, looks like some elk tracks in there. And I start looking around, and about 50 yards in front of me, I see a big old fresh rub. I mean, sap's still oozing out of the tree. The shavings are still on the ground. I'm like, oh, well, there's definitely been an elk in here, a bull in here sometime recently. Yeah. So by this point, I'm starting to get a little bit more alert. I'm like, you know, I might... Mike could come up on an elk here and I was a little excited too I'm like I'm literally a quarter of a mile from my campsite I was like could I get this lucky you know <laughs> you know in the back of my mind I'm like no nah, I'm not gonna get this lucky but I start moving along and somebody always told me they said you'll smell elk before you see them a lot of times if they've been in an area recently and as I'm walking along I get this you know I start smelling this musty uh smell the smell of urine and I'm like man that smells like, you know, smells like an elk would smell, I think. Yeah, barnyard. And I never would thought that. Yeah, it's just, you're right, it's that barnyard smell. And I no more than thought that, and I heard a, I heard a limb break. And I looked up 50 yards in front of me, and there's a cow elk standing there looking at me. No kidding. And I was like, I mean, I just freeze. You know, I'm like, am, am I really seeing this right now? You know, quarter <laughs> mile from my campsite. I mean, I could lit- I could turn around and look down the hill and I could see the top of my tent from where I was at. I'm like, man, you know, there's an elk. She's right here. She's within bow range. She's looking right at me. And I'm like, well, maybe if I can make one little move, I might be able to get a shot. And as I'm trying to, you know, ease my bow up, she's looking around. I'm kind of obscured by a cedar tree, so she's not 100% sure what I am. The wind's perfect for me. It's, you know, kind of coming crosswind. I say, I might get a shot at this elk. As I'm raising my bow up, I hear like a, a deep grunt sound. And I just happened to look to my left, and there standing there 20 yards away is a six-by-six six bull. Whoa. And, yeah, and I literally, I almost lost control of myself at that point. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at two elk now, 
one of them a six by six bull. You know, granted he's not some you know world class monster, but he's a bull elk and he's at twenty five yards. And if I can just make one little move, I'm gonna get a shot at this elk on my first elk hunt, a quarter mile from my campsite. <laughs> so I'm, that's awesome. Yeah, I got my I've got my bow. I'm trying to get it raised up. And that bull, he's looking around trying to figure out where I'm at because I'm still kind of obscured by a tree. And that cow, she's just kind of looking all around, not really paying attention to me now. And I'm trying to get my bow drawn back. And as I'm getting it raised up and start to draw back, the woods just exploded. And I realized that I was standing almost in the middle of a herd of elk. Not real sure how many there were. I saw somewhere between 8 and 10 myself as they nearly trampled me as they ran through the woods. Um <laughs> But I'd literally got into a herd of elk a quarter of a mile from my campsite, one of them being a pretty nice bull. That's that's funny. So um, so are you drawn back at this point, or are you still kind of waiting to try to make a move or seeing what he's going to do? What's what's going on right in that moment? Yeah, um, I got my bow up, had my release hook, and I was getting ready to draw back. And I guess that was when one of the other uh, cows that was laying in there must have finally figured out that I was not something to be playing around with and watching anymore. And, you know, she got up and took off running. And once one ran, they all followed suit. And it's amazing how a 700-pound animal can disappear in that jungle in there. But uh, they took off running uh, and disappeared like nothing was ever there. Wow. Yeah. I was a little disappointed. Um, I tried to pursue them. Yeah, I went through, I got into some real thick, nasty deadfall, and I realized that there was probably no way that I was going to be able to catch up to them with the way they were moving, but I was hyped up because, yeah, I'd seen an elk. No, I had seen an elk, I'd seen a bull, and I basically had a shot opportunity. I just couldn't quite put it all together. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's really cool. So you, you came close, and, um, you know, it granted, right next to your camp, probably not too far from the road. Um, that's, that's pretty cool too. And I've, I believe me, I've been in that same situation as well. You hike a couple miles back in and you don't see anything. You could go as little as a couple hundred yards and, and get into elk. Um, so that's, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really neat. You know, so by this point, um, in the hunt, I had met, I had met my primary goals. I was having fun. We hadn't had any severe problems or injuries. I'd heard elk bugle, I'd seen elk, so now I'm pretty well focused on, all right, I've got a few more days to do this. I feel like I might be able to put it all together, and uh, and I'll kill an elk. So with just a few days left, um, I decided to really get back hard into a, another area I'd identified uh, on the maps that looked really good. I hadn't had any time to get into it yet, but I was like, you know, I feel like it's going to be a strong area. So I went in there, um, and... I just started working my way through the woods, um, just cold calling, uh, doing some calf calls, cow calls, you know, throwing out a bugle here and there. And it was probably about 8.30 in the morning. I'm sitting there, and I'm just working my way along, easing along. It's starting to rain a little bit, and I'm just trying to decide, um, man, do I need to hunker down? Do I need to keep moving? And I start to hear some noise. I'm looking around. I was like, well, that sounds like a pretty large animal moving through the woods. So I keep calling, and a spike bull comes out of the deadfall and runs within 10 yards of me and stops and stares at me. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, man, this is awesome. I was like, I just called in 
you know, a bull elk. Granted, he's not legal, but I did, you know, I called in an elk and yeah. I could have shot him. You know, if he's a legal bull, he was dead to rights. I mean, I raised up my bow, you know, and just pointed it towards him, being like, just seeing what I could do. Yeah. I didn't draw back or anything, but I was like, you know, right there, I've got him broadside at 10 yards. If he just had a few more points on one side, I'd have a dead bull. And sat there and watched him for a few minutes, and he finally uh, went his own way, deciding there was no cow for him to try to harass. <laughs> I, was, I was just, by this point, I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting close. It may not happen, but I'm getting close here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, now you kind of talked about before that you and your dad kind of went separate ways. Was he with you kind of at this point or were you guys still doing your own, your own thing individually? Yeah, uh, we were still kind of doing our own thing individually at this point. Uh, the same day that I got into the, uh, the six by six bull and the group of cows, my dad had, um, went into a different area, uh, that day and, it was kind of a marshy, nasty, swampy area, but it was fairly flat terrain. So uh, it was somewhere where he felt like he could hunt uh, pretty well and not have to climb too many mountains. And he ended up seeing um, a small bull and a couple cows and also saw five bull moose uh, while he was wow. in that area, which for nice. him, I think that just that, that made the hunt. Um, he literally has a video of him sitting on the ground and a bull moose walking and almost stepping on his legs as he's sitting up against a tree that's how close it came to him <laughs> wow that is that is amazing i'd uh you'll have to send me that video i'd like to see it yeah yeah it's it's pretty i mean you know that's the things that kind of makes the hunt even if you're not being successful and killing an elk and stuff like that you know seeing a bull moose at 10 yards away five yards away that's that's pretty amazing um you know, things like that. I mean, that, I think that kind of made his hunt. He was like, man, you know, I had a moose. He didn't even tell me about the elk until after he spent 15 minutes telling me about the moose. You know, <laughs> That's great. That's so, so cool. Um, so yeah. you had, so you called in the spike and obviously couldn't shoot that cause you were hunting in a unit that was four points or more on one side to be a legal bull. Mm-hmm. Um, was that pretty much the end of the hunt? That was like one of the last, last days, correct? Yeah, we're, you know, we're getting down towards the last day. Uh, Dad and I, on the very last day, Dad and I hunted together in that same area uh, where I had caught in that spike. Um, we found a lot of fresh sign. Um, it, even uh, thought we uh, spotted some spotted some elk moving quickly through the timber uh, at a distance of a couple hundred yards, but, you know, just couldn't quite get over into the area quickly enough to figure out where they had went and what direction they were traveling. Uh, we heard a few bugles, and then course the last night we were there you know we come back to camp we're like oh we got to head home in the morning a little little dejected that we didn't get an elk but still pumped from the good time that we had had and um we're laying there in the tent that last night and literally got no sleep that whole night because bulls bugled all night long non-stop and we're we're laying there looking at each other like man do we really have to leave tomorrow (laughs) i mean you're I mean, that's, I mean, there was still like two days left of the season, but because of our schedules and vacation time, you know, we couldn't stretch it anymore. But, I mean, we laid there in that tent and listened to those elk bugle all night long. And, you know, we're sitting there thinking, man, if we just had one or two more days, you know, we could get it done because it's finally getting right. You know, they bugled a little bit this first week we've been here, but now they're they're bugling hard. Yeah. So, you know, we, we kind of had that uh, – 
as we woke up the next morning, got all of our gear together to head home. A little disappointed that we couldn't get into them because the weather was really turning cold. There was some snow moving in. You know, everything was just finally getting right. But, you know, when you got to drive 1,700 miles, you only have a certain amount of time. And, you know, your jobs usually aren't going to let you call in to go elk hunting. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. It's uh, you know, but that's that's all part of the process. So it sounds I mean, this is all great stuff. It sounds like you've, you know, got into them, you hit your goals. You guys had a great hunt even though you didn't kill anything. It was still something that I'm I'm sure you'll never forget. And um in it in correct me if I'm wrong, that was your first year elk hunting and then this next year or this last season you went back again. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, um, you know, we had such a great time that we, we decided on the drive home uh, in 2016 that we were coming back in 2017. Uh, there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, we both put in our vacation time for the next year as soon as we got back. Got it. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, it became an addiction after one hunt, and we were really hyped up about going on the second hunt. For sure. Before we even got home from the first one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's uh, a lot of my buddies have been that same way. I was that same way after the first year. You're hooked, and 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 you can't stop thinking about it. In between <laughs> the whole year, you have to wait, which is uh, yeah. you know tough to do for sure. Yeah. So yeah, that this next the next year was. I mean, you know, like I said, we were looking forward to it all year, made some gear adjustments, and we were ready to roll whenever September was uh, going to hit. So, Nice, nice. So I know we're we're kind of running out of time here, but, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about, so you went the first year, you, you kind of told us, you know, all the way from planning to scouting to, um, you know, walking us through day-to-day and all your different encounters. Talk to us just a little bit about, like, this past season's hunt and maybe kind of what you learned from the year before and maybe how you applied some of those things. Did you hunt in the same area? Um, just kind of give us a, an, an overview of that week and, and maybe what you did differently or what you did the same. Yeah. So, you know, learned a lot from the first year. I learned a lot about the terrain. And so that kind of helped me uh, target in on, you know, what kind of fitness level I needed to be. So I tried to get myself a little bit more fit, um, modified some gear and stuff like that. Um, I picked up a few items because I decided I wanted to at least try to spike out for a night or two. I'd found some areas that, um, you know, I had to pull out of to get back to camp at night. And I felt like if I could spike out for at least one or two nights, it would give me a better opportunity to get into elk. And, um, it actually, uh, it worked out pretty well. Um, and, you know, I didn't, didn't get elk the second go around. Um, you know, some people see that as a failure probably, but, Again, I don't. I mean, I came so close. Uh, second day of the hunt, I got into a, a bugling match with a really nice bull, and I chased him hard all the way up to the mountains. I mean, literally at one point in time, sliding down a hill on my butt 500 feet straight down a mountain to get across the creek to get to where he was at. Um, the whole time I can see him and you know, running at a full sprint as hard as I can go to get up to the hill to where this is elk's at and he's bugling and I'm bugling and I'm trying not to have a heart attack while I'm running. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I get to a point, I got to a little open area in the Aspens and I can see him uh, in some dark timber above me and I'm calling him in and he's coming across that meadow 
And you know, I'm watching, I'm like, he's at 90 yards, he's 80 yards, he's 70 yards. I was like, if he gets to 50 yards, you know, I've got a, I've got a chance. And wind changes, and they smell you. And unlike a white-tailed deer, which might hang around for a second to figure out what was going on, you know, elk don't, they don't hang around once they smell a person. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I knew the area that I'd want to be in. It was an area where I'd seen some, had some uh, encounters the year before, and I'd went right to it. And the opportunity was there, just a little bit of bad luck and a few mistakes probably on my part kept me from shooting that elk. It was a really nice five-by-five bull. But to be within 60 yards of him and have, you know, literally an hour of him bugling back and forth to me while I chased him was something I could have only dreamed of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's something you can't see and, and experience from the couch. And uh, it sounds like you, you got back into it and, and had some success. So you didn't, you didn't actually kill this past season. Um, but you know, you have plans to come back in 2018. Is that correct? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, back in 2018, uh, looks like this year I'll probably be doing it, uh, a hundred percent solo. Um, other, my dad's just not gonna be able to make it this year, but you know, I spent the last couple of years modifying my plan and picking up some gear here and there. Um, I feel like I'm probably going to try to do more of a backpack style hunt this time to get back in some areas and just to stay in those areas to try to get in on some elk. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a going to be another adventure, you know, doing the backpack style and doing it all on my own. For sure, for sure. And after that hunt, we'll have to have you back on to to kind of you know finish the the next chapter of the third season. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but uh, I appreciate you being on here, Andrew. I really do. Uh, your story's awesome. You know, taking us, walking us through the whole process, and um, keep me in mind when you're out here. If you if you ever do need anything, let me know. I'd be I'd be happy to help you out because I'm a I'm a local here. Even if I got to drive a couple hours, I uh, I don't have a problem doing doing that at all. So um, once again, appreciate you being on the show. Oh no! Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on here and uh, share my misadventures with people. Hopefully, um, somebody can learn a little bit from me. And there we go, another episode in the books. Big thanks to Andrew for coming on the show. I am inspired. That was that was really cool, wasn't it? I mean, to be able to go and and do that hunt without, you know, any prior knowledge and pretty much going in blind, it's it's pretty amazing, but at the same time it's very doable. You don't have to spend, you know, thousands of dollars on gear you don't have to buy all the latest stuff um you, you don't have to know anybody you don't have to really know anything it just takes some time start planning start kind of putting the pieces in place and and make it happen there's there's so many resources out there a lot of forums um if you are looking at hunting in colorado like andrew i do have a great resource on my website that i've put together all you have to do is is subscribe to transitionwild.com and I will send you the Colorado beginner elk hunting guide. A lot of that stuff that he was talking about as far as his resources and whatnot, um, I link to in that guide, but we also dive further into like different scouting and, and gear preparation and, and all different, um, aspects like that. So, um, if you're considering going on a Colorado elk hunt of your own, definitely go check that out. All right. Um, let's see here. So 
coming up, if you are kind of, you know, looking at not necessarily the DIY approach, if you're looking at something a little different, um, I've also had some feedback. Some guys kind of had some interest in learning more about um, a drop camp or having an outfitter pack them in with horses and and kind of going that route. Not fully guided, but, um, you know, kind of getting you started with getting set up camp and, and, and going that route. So look for that episode to air in the near future and uh, just be a different perspective on things. So we're covering the DIY, do it yourself, you know, go out there and, and research and, and set up camp and do it all on your own. But for the guys that, you know, maybe don't have all the time or really just kind of want a different um, aspect of things, hey, we're going we're gonna to cover that too. So I appreciate the guys that have, have reached out. Please uh, keep doing so. I want your feedback. Please email me. Uh, send me a message on Facebook, whatever. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And we're going to keep making this about you guys. So the more kind of feedback or more questions you have or stuff you want to learn about, and the more you bring that to my attention, I'm going to keep delivering because that's what it's all about, you guys. And uh, with that, I appreciate the support. Once again, if you like what you're hearing, definitely go leave a review on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. Leave a five-star review and um i would certainly like that also check out some of the other guys on there um the landon legacy the diy sportsman and of course dan the man johnson with the nine finger chronicles all good stuff and then um let's see what else what else oh uh, like us on go to sportsman's nation like them on facebook instagram same with transition wild if i'd love to you know for you guys to connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. So uh, that is it. I uh, again appreciate appreciate the uh, the listeners. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And until next time, we'll look forward to talking with you. So have a great day. Mm-hmm.